in this world right now, we disagree on a lot of things. But there's one thing we can't agree on, and this is the one thing we can agree on. Excuse me, and this is this, that your experiences shape how you view the world. Your experiences shape how you view the world. And we can all agree on that. And from you, where you were born, to where you grew up, to your birth order, plays a huge part in how you see the world. Now let me explain that and let me put it in my perspective and how it shapes my life. For one, birth order is big. I'm a firstborn of five kids. My youngest brother is 20 years younger than me. And, you know, growing up in in a house uh, full of kids, you know, you really had to scavenge for your food. If you wanted seconds, you ate really quick, right, to get first. That's just the way it was. And but being the firstborn, here's what I understand. And here's if you're a firstborn, you understand this, too. And babies don't necessarily get this, but they know this is true. Babies are spoiled. My 20-year-old is spoiled. The 20, the, 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 my brother who's 20 years younger than me is spoiled. Cause I remember going through my house and I was in, I was in college and I'd come back and I'm thinking, wait, I don't get to watch that. I never got to say that. I never acted that way. Are you kidding me? But here's the thing. Parents, we, and I'm a parent, we, we get lenient as the kids go on, right? It's like the whole pacifier thing. If you give the kids a pacifier and the firstborn, it drops you. You're like, oh, i got to sanitize it. The third one, you're like, okay, good. Stick it in its mouth, right? <laughs> you don't care, and you get lenient. But here, that's just the way it is. Now, babies, you can agree or d- disagree, but the truth is you are spoiled. And my youngest is spoiled too. Not by me, but by my, by my wife, because my wife is the youngest. I'm the oldest. But here's the other thing. Not only birth order, but where you grew up. And where you grew up and how you grew up influences the way you see the world. And it's the culture that really infiltrates you. And you never really lose that culture. You never really lose how you grew up. Because there's a saying, and this saying is true, that you can take the person out of the place they live, but you can't take the the, 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 the place out of the person, right? So for example, this is how we'd say it. So you can take the person out of Texas, but you can't say that you can't take the Texas out of the person. It's just the way it is. So this was very apparent to me last week. I'm about to go outside, and here's how I'm dressed. I got my cowboy boots on. No, just kidding. I don't have cowboy boots on. I don't own a pair of boots, won't own a pair of boots, even though at work they're trying to get me to buy a pair of boots. I'm not going to buy a pair of boots because, again, it shapes how you see the world. I know they're comfortable, but anyways, I'm digressing. So I walk out, and I've got my my surf shirt on. I've got my uh, shorts that go all the way to my knees. And then I've got my flip-flops on. But they're not just any flip-flops. If you know, you know. They are rainbow flip-flops. Okay, now let me explain this to you. There's a difference between flip-flops and rainbows. If you ever own, now Birkenstocks are coming back. The 90s are back. And if you know anything about Birkenstocks or had a pair of Birkenstocks, you stick your foot in and it forms to your foot, right, over a period of time. Rainbows do the same thing. So you have these flip-flops, and you, you slip them in, and they, they start out really rough, and they're really hard. But as soon as you break them in, they are heaven. So and as I'm walking out, <laughs> I'm walking out with my wife, and I go, Sarah, you can take the dude out of California, but you can't take California out of the dude. And I walk out, and I'm just thinking, I don't look like anything around here. And I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to say y'all and all that other stuff. But... You really, it, it, 
our experiences, and I say all of that for me, because you have the same experiences, right? You have all your experiences and all the things from your birth order to how you grew up to where you grew up that influences how you see the world. And here's one thing that how we see the world. Our earthly parents can have a direct link and related to how we see our Heavenly Father. And what I mean by that is, is this. Some of us have grown up in a house where a house is loving and it's great. And you know your dad and your mom have loved you. And so what we equate our, our family here on earth and our parents, we equate that to how our Heavenly Father treats us. Just some people do that. And for some, it's not just love, but some it's pain. See, some people have grown up in a home where it's very painful. And they remember that when they grew up, whether they were an adult or a teenager, that their parents split. That the parents were arguing. And all they remember is mom and dad yelling, and all they remember is mom and dad getting upset, and then their mom and dad leaving. And there was pain and there was hurt from there. And so some people, when they wrestle with that, they wrestle with a God who, is he going to leave me? Is he who he says he is? And not only that, but I think people have a, a tendency to deal with rejection as well. If they were rejected at home, and here's what I mean by that. If you're rejected at home, and maybe your mom or your dad or your parents ended up leaving. And you didn't know why. Maybe you were a kid, maybe you're an adult, who knows. But they ended up leaving, and you're just thinking... Do they even care? And then there's some people that your parent is present and they come home, but mentally they're not there. They're always focused on their work. They're always focused on something else. And it's as if you're ignored. So you struggle with this rejection. And then people struggle with this when they grow into be adults because they end up not talking to their parents because they've been rejected. And so we have this idea of, of, of God, how our earthly parents is how we see our Heavenly Father. But here's the thing. We go into adulthood and we vow not to do these things. So we go into adulthood and here's what we do. We say, well, I am never going to say the D word. The divorce is never going to come up in my home. Because why? Because that's what happened to my parents and I am going to say that is not going to happen to me. And then we say, well, I'm going to be a, a parent who is involved, and I'm going to come home, and I'm going to be mentally there, and I'm going to be physically present for my kids. And then some of us, what we say that we're going to put family first, whether it's our immediate family or it's just our siblings. We are going to prioritize our family first because that's how we feel. But see, how you view God is a direct reflection of your relationship with God. It's a direct, re uh, it's a direct link to how you view God. So here it is. So how do you view God? How do you view him? Do you have a tough time with, with rejection? See, we have we try to get our, our physical life together, but when it comes to our spiritual life, how are we? And how is our relationship with our Heavenly Father? See, some people view God as he is a God who's absent because that's what they knew growing up. And so they equate, well, if, if I can't trust anybody. And how can I trust God? And, and we grow up being, also, we grow up thinking that God might be an angry, vengeful God. That somehow that there was this anger in this home, and, and that's, why would God let this happen? And is God out to punish me? Is God this vengeful God? Is God an absent God? Is God somebody who you can trust? So we have this idea that <clears throat> our experiences are in direct relationship to how we see our Heavenly Father. But here's the thing. Does God want us to see it that way? 
Well, the obvious answer is no. It is no. And I'll tell you why it's no. Because when Jesus was here on earth, here's what he said. If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. There's a direct correlation between Jesus and, and the Heavenly Father. Look, he is mirroring what God is doing. He is. And so when he taught, when he healed, when he did miracles, you see God. And so when Jesus comes, here's what he says. He says, this is who we, where I came from, and this is who I am. I am the Messiah, I am God, and I came from heaven. This is, this is exactly what I want you to get. So it's kind of like a mirror. It's, it's as if like, like, like a mirror of, the, of God shining to his, to, to his son. And so he begins to say, and as he begins to teach, here's what, here's what Jesus teaches. He begins to teach, and we talked about this last week. He's on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's up there, and he's sitting, and he's got the Sea of Galilee around, and he begins to uh, unpack this idea of this greatest message. And as he unpacks this, he says, look, I want you to be honest. Keep your, keep your promises. Don't murder. And I want you not to worry. And the people around are going, wow, this is groundbreaking. And then he would say this. He would say, look, if you want to be critical, then you need to start with yourself. Because if you truly want to look at someone else's life on the outside, you have to look at your life inside. And so Jesus begins to do this. Now, here's the interesting thing. You come up to the next point in the next verses, and he begins to talk about prayer for the second time. See, in chapter 6, he talks about prayer, and here's what he says. He says, I want to model prayer for you. This is how you should pray. And as he begins to unpack this idea of prayer, what he says to his disciples and to the crowd is this, that it's supposed to be private and not public. Because what the Pharisees were doing is they were going around in public and saying, look how religious I am and I'm praying to God and this and that. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not supposed to go around acting like you're religious and people looking at you. It's for God's eyes only. So get in your closet in a secret place and begin to, to begin to talk to him. So then right after that, as he talks about the prayer, he begins to unpack his second idea in Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, he unfolds this idea of prayer for you and I and for the people who are listening. In Matthew chapter 7, the next verses right after this, he says in verse 7 and 8, and here's what he says. If I can get there, I'm in Mark, Matthew. Give me a second here. It says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. As he's up there speaking, doing his message, he says, and when you, no, is that, no, that's six. Excuse me. All right, now I got it. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now like this. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door is open. Now here's what I want you to understand. He says, for everyone. And when it comes to God, if you've ever read the scripture, if you read the Old Testament or the New Testament, usually when God promises something, we think it's just unconditional. That there's no conditions attached. Wrong. There are some promises that are unconditional. There are some promises that are conditional. And what I mean by this is that if God does his part, you have to do your part. And what I mean by that is look at the Ten Commandments. There's, there's In the Ten Commandments... There's a promise attached to one of the Ten Commandments. It says, if you want to live long and it go well with you, what must you do? 
Honor your father and mother. So there's an attachment there. If he says, I want you to heal your land, and God wants to heal a a nation of Israel, and, and he wants to heal the nations, what do we have to do? He says you have to humble yourself, you have to pray and seek his face. And then, and only then, will he heal the land. See, so there's conditions with sometimes when God promises something that it gives us a, 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 a kind of this idea and this picture of what we need to do. So he unpacks this, but here's what he says. He doesn't say ask and do this, uh, seek and do this. There's no conditions here, which is really interesting. So the emphasis here is on the faithfulness and the generosity of the Father. Look, it's not, hey, if you do A, B, and C, God will do X, Y, and Z. What does he say? If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it will be opened. There's no conditions. And it's really interesting why he would do this. Now, as he goes through this, here's what you can understand. When he's saying this, He's saying that God wants this from you and from me. He is welcoming prayer and he's urging us to come to him continuously. He is welcoming prayer. He's welcoming communication from his people and he wants us to come to him continuously. Here's why. Because the present tense in these verbs, he's using the present form in these verbs of ask, seek, and knock. So really how it reads in, in, in the way it was written in the Greek is keep asking, Keep knocking, keep seeking. So just keep, keep, keep doing, keep doing, consistently doing it. And what he would say is with those verbs is it gives a great picture of how to petition God, how to come to him and how to ask. And and he begins to say this. Now, when he uses these verbs, what he's saying is he uses the present form of them. But what he's saying is, is that what will happen is in the future. So keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, and this will happen. So, as he goes from there, you, you, you think about this, that how you, re, how you understand God, how you know God, is how you respond to him. Now let me say this. When he says keep knocking, and he says keep seeking, and he says open, that is constant. There's something there that continues to move. I need to keep doing this, keep doing this. And in the scripture, in chapter Luke, he talks about, you know, the, the person that continues to knock and is very persistent with the Lord. Now, there is an idea of persistence here. But here's what I want you to understand, that when, when he tells us to come continuously, it's this idea of this father and this child. Now, think about this. When you're a child or your parent, when a kid wants to ask something, he usually asks his dad, depending on his dad's personality and his temperament. For example, if your dad was stingy, if your dad was cranky, if he was Ill, ill-willed, so to speak, what are you going to do? You're going to wait for the right time, the right moment to ask your dad because you want it to be a yes. And most dads don't have yes faces. We just don't, right? Even my kids said the other week, hey, who, who says yes more? They're like, mom, we won't go to you. Okay, all right. But here's the other thing. If a child's father, if your father was generous or giving, you would come to him at any time and you'd come with him with openness and you'd come with him with freedom because you know your dad is going to say yes. 
And that's the picture that Jesus is trying to convey here. But here's the thing. You might, I don't know how you see him or how you respond to him. And, and maybe for you, you think God is ill will and maybe he's stingy. Maybe you think he's a giver. I don't know. But here's what the people thought and the pagans thought about their gods. They thought, maybe you think this, that their gods were moody and you had to change their behavior. So they thought, man, if, if, if I can, can manipulate or if I can barter or if I can kind of, you know, kind of change God's mind, then that's what I'll do. And some of us, that's what we think. We think like that, that God is this moody God, that one moment he's angry and one moment he's gracious and loving. And so when it comes to our prayer and, we, and, and how we see things, what we tend to do is we tend to be guarded. And we think, well, that's not the right moment. I, somehow i got to change God or i got to be and act a certain way so maybe his mood will change or his behavior will change. Maybe I can bribe him into getting what I want. But is that what Jesus taught? No. Because what Jesus taught was this. He taught that God is a gracious and giving Father. And if God is a gracious and giving Father, here's the thing, if He is a gracious giving Father, then you don't have to be afraid to go to Him whenever and ask what you need at any time. You don't need to be afraid. He's not going to get angry. He's not ill-willed. He's not stingy. You don't have to bribe him. He's not moody. You can go to him at any given time. And here's the, here's the thing. You don't even have to worry that he's not going to give to you. Because he's not stingy. It's not, that's not who he is and that's not what Jesus taught. So as he continues to go through this, he begins to unveil and bring clarity to who God is. So Jesus in, in this whole um, talk in this whole message in this whole passage here's what he's trying to get to he's trying to bring clarity to the heavenly father so jesus goes to great lengths to bring a clear picture and change people's picture of the heavenly father and here's how he does that in the in the next verses he says this in in verse nine he says and then and then excuse me which of you if your son asks for bread will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a steak? Well, you know what Jesus is doing here. He's giving rhetorical questions. Everybody knows the answer to that. The answer is what? No. Right? It's no. If if your kid asks you for a snake, or or what is it? Uh, he's he's going to ask you, he says what? Yeah, I ask him for bread, I'm going to give him a stone. No. If he asks for fish, am I going to give him a steak? No. And Jesus is making the point that, look, Parents don't trick their kids. And your heavenly father's not going to trick you. He's not going to do that. So, And then he comes to this point, and he's trying to make this point in the next verses. He brings it right here, and here's what he says. And he says this in verse 11. He says, if you, talking to the people, talking to the crowd, talking to the disciples, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And He's emphatic. He just makes the point very clear here. Look, He says there are evil parents, and some of us are evil, some of us are bad, but even if we're evil, we still give our kids gifts. And He says the most terrible 
dad, the most terrible mom, still gives the basic necessities to their kids. They don't withhold from their kids. And he says, how much more your father who loves you, who cares for you, is going to gift you to you? If someone evil can give good gifts to their to their to their children, how much more your heavenly father who's not evil can give great gifts to you? And and so he begins to he begins to uh, unpack this even more. And you got to think about this. The disciples are there and and they're in here and they're sitting there. And as they're sitting there, they're hearing this. And right before in chapter six, what they heard was that they, and they know that God answers and he hears. So he hears and he answers our prayers. Now, as they're sitting there and they're hearing this, so they're saying, okay, so my, my father knows good. He, he knows what, what I, I want. He answers me. He will give good gifts, but yet they still kind of are concerned. And they're concerned and the people are concerned just like you and I are. And, and here's where we get concerned. We get concerned when we're in the midst of a crisis. Does God really care? Does he really hear? And he's going to to answer me. Because in those moments of crisis, you know God hears. But you're asking and nothing's happening. And see, the disciples knew that God hears and he's going to answer. But even like us, we can continue to doubt if it's going to be good. But here's the thing with this scripture, no matter how you feel, no matter what you're going through, this should bring comfort and affirmation to you because of God's benevolence. And so what Jesus is trying to make here is this. He's trying to make a point to us. He's trying to make a point to his people. He's list- they are listening. Here's what he's trying to say. A loving father, as a loving father, God will always be generous. God is always generous. He's not stingy. He's not ill-willed. He's not someone you have to, 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 you know, bribe to get something out of him. He doesn't change his mood. He's always generous. And see, with today, this should bring comfort to people because the reason why this should bring comfort to you and I and, and people who need to hear this is, is this. Because we live in a time where there are relationships that are rocky and short and people are hurt by other people. And this should bring comfort to who God is because there are people, and, and maybe you're here, This should bring comfort because there are people who have this idea and here's how they feel. They feel inwardly as abandoned children. And God doesn't abandon his children. So here's the truth. Despite what you believe and despite what you experienced, God is always generous. It's always generous. You know why? Because before you and I were born, he was giving Right? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Before you and I were alive, before we were even just planned on this earth, He died for us. That in the beginning, see, He sent Jesus to make the relationship right, to restore and to redeem that which was broken. And He came, right? And He came from the beginning. God so loved that He gave. And I always tell people this, and I always tell couples this, that loving and giving go hand in hand. If you love, you give. And so Jesus loved. He put us first. He put the relationship first. He put mankind first. And what did he do? He gave Jesus for you and I. He gave Jesus for you and I. And here's the thing, which you got to understand. 
is that because Jesus does this and because, because he came for us, here's what we have to do. There's got to be response on our part. If God is a generous God, then here's what we have to do. We have, there's a response. And here's the response. See, here's what God says in, in the scripture in Psalms 82. It says that he does not withhold anything good from those who fear him or walk with integrity or uprightness with him. It's different versions, but it's all the same thing, right? He does not withhold good things for those people who pursue him and walk faithfully with him. If God doesn't withhold anything from us, then why do we withhold stuff from him? So here's our response. If God is a generous God, here's what we need to do. We cannot withhold our trust. We cannot withhold our trust from him. And what I mean by that is this. Why, why can we not hold our, withhold our trust? It's because he knows what's best for us. See, here's the thing about God. Even though you don't ask for anything, God still loves you, God still cares for you, and still wants to be generous towards you. And the other thing is, is you can be unresponsive and God still loves you, cares for you, and wants to give to you. You see, how much does he love you and care for you? And here's the thing. How can you not trust somebody who loves you so much that doesn't get anything in return? He gave Jesus with nothing in return. And there's people who will not choose to have that right relationship with him. And so you don't withhold trust from him. And as you go from there, you know, you think about this. And the other thing you need to do is not withhold trust, but we need to do do one thing. And another thing is this, is you need to keep petitioning. But let me go before that without holding trust. Before I get to petitioning, don't withhold trust. And, and I said you're unresponsive. And maybe today, here's, the, here's the, the, the fact for you. You might be unresponsive as a child. Right? Some people are unresponsive to relationship with him. Some people are unresponsive to what he wants to do in their lives. And first and foremost, what, what God wants you to do is he wants you to what, be responsive to what Jesus did. And so he wants you to be responsive. So what he's saying is, is I want you to put your trust in me. Don't withhold trust from me. Look, I can be trusted. I sent something for you before you were even born. I gave to you. You are so important that I wanted to redeem you and restore you. So what he's saying is, is I want first and foremost, a relationship from you. Even if you're unresponsive, Jesus died for the world, died for, for everyone. And so what he says is, is that I want you to be responsive. I want you to put your trust in me. That's what I want you to do. Now, some people are, are, are not responsive in a relationship, but the other part and the other side to this is that we're unresponsive in our communication to him. See, if he's talking about prayer and he's talking about all, of th- all these things, he wants us to be responsive in our prayer. He wants us to communicate. But here's, if we were honest with ourselves, here's what we would say. We'd say, maybe my prayer life is non-existent. Maybe my prayer life is that I only go to him when I need something. Or maybe I go to him when I'm doing good. And my my prayer life is up and down, up and down. Well, here's what I want you to do if you feel like that, if you're unresponsive. Here's what I want you to do. Would you this week, for the next seven days, 
It will go longer because trust me, it will if you do this. You know how they always do a seven seven day free trial if you want to try something out? Okay, well, I'm giving you a seven free trial, but I'm telling you, you, you'll be into this. Would you just spend time with Jesus for a few moments for the next seven days, whether you believe in him or not? And you're like, what? No, 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 hear me, hear me. What I want you to do is this. Some of you are like, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say. Here's what you can say. I'll give you a little example. Just come to him and say, okay, Jesus, I've tried to do everything on my own. I've tried to get a leg up in life, and it's not working. So here's what you say. You say, I am open to you. I'm opening my life to bring transformation to me. So all you say is you spend seven, just a few minutes with the Lord. It could be longer. I don't care. The point is you make time for him. And you say, God, I am going to open myself up to you, and I'm going to be open to you transforming my life. Can I tell you what will happen? You won't quit after the seven days. Because Jesus will transform our lives. No matter how long you've known him or you don't know him, he will transform your lives. And he will begin to move in that direction. And you will see God do things. You will see him touch you and transform you into what he wants you to be. And it will be amazing. So just spend time with him. Now, now the next thing here we, we need to do is we need to keep petitioning. We keep going to God and keep asking Him, keep seeking, keep knocking. Keep petitioning God. Keep going to Him with persistence. Now what I'm saying is, is, is don't go to God with your useless repetitions. You're not going to get more out of God if you repeat yourself over and over and over and over and over and they're just useless. You're not going to get Him to do more for you. It's not how he's gonna, he's, He works. And here's what I understand about petitioning. You might be at a place where you're going to grow tired, you're going to grow weak, weary, and you'll be frustrated because it will feel like God's not answering you. But here's the promise, right? There's no conditions. You ask, you will receive. You seek, you will find. You knock and it will be open. He doesn't tell you when, does he? He just says you do it. And so what we need to do is we need to do it and keep petitioning him. Now, here's what I understand. The pushback is going to be this. Well, what if he doesn't answer me? That's right. And what if he says no? Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Because here's what I know about me, and here's what I know about your Heavenly Father. We are very similar. Being a dad has helped me see, see God in a different light. If my kids come to me and they, and they say, Dad, can I have this? I will do everything in my power to grant that to them. Circumstances permitting. If I say no, there's a good reason why I say no. It's not beneficial for them. It's not the right timing for them. That's how I work. That's how your Heavenly Father works. You keep asking, you keep knocking, you keep seeking. Look, if He says no... Or if he doesn't answer, he might say no. He might say, hey, this is not beneficial for you. This is not good for you. What you're asking for, you don't need. Or he might just say, it's, it's the wrong timing. Just give me some time. Just be patient. Because here's what I know. We live in a microwave world, don't we? We get everything right here, right now, from fast food to the internet. And what happens when it's slow? 
we complain and we get angry and we get impatient. And it's no different with God. So if God doesn't answer us on our timeline, what do we do? We get frustrated, impatient, and angry. But he doesn't always work on our timeline. He works on his. And he works what is best for you at that particular moment. And here's the last thing. Everything changes when you begin to discover how good God is and you begin to trust him. Everything changes. And you know what the first thing that changes is your relationship with him because you see him differently. You see him that he's a loving, caring, giving father and that he cares for his children, that he wants to bless his children, that he wants to have favor on his children. And so what happens is you begin to see Jesus and as he teaches, you begin to see God in a different light. And if God wants to bless and he wants to do things and he wants to favor your life, then you begin to respond and live that way. You begin to live differently. And here's the next thing. Your prayer life changes. Because if God wants to give you good gifts and he's not out to, to, to punish you and not out to give you evil stuff, but he wants to give you great gifts more than someone who's a, a bad parent like Jesus would say, your prayer life changes. And here's what you do. You begin to pray things and you begin to expect things from God. Because he's a good, gracious, giving God. And you begin to decree stuff. You begin to declare stuff. Because God wants to do something in you and for you. And that's what he wants to do. So your prayer life begins to, your communication with him begins to be different. So your relationship begins to be different. And your prayer life begins to be different. So finally, here's the last question. And it's up there. And it says this. Despite what you've experienced... Would you begin to trust? Would you begin to trust? And what I mean by that is, would you just begin to put all your past experiences and how you view the world and how you view God for right now, just put it on the back burner. And would you come to him with fresh eyes? Would you come to him with fresh eyes and be open to what he wants to do in your life? Would you be open to keep seeking, like he says, to keep asking and to keep knocking? And would you see him as a gracious, giving father? And not because he's not stingy, he's not ill-willed, and he's not somebody who is moody. He's always generous and will always be generous. So here's what I want you to do. I want you today to walk out of this room different. Yes. And here's what I want to do. I want to give some space here. And as I pray, I want you to start your seven-day trial with, with him today. So don't walk out of these rooms. You know, it's nice I get up here and I preach, say, okay, good, go, bye, see you. No, let's put it right now into action. And so what I want you to do is I'm going to pray for you. And I want to, to give like a couple minutes, minute or so, and you just tell God, Tell him what you need. Tell him, ask what you've been seeking for, what you've been knocking for, what you, what you, what you want. Not want, but what you need, excuse me. And allow him to penetrate you and allow him to change your relationship today. Because as a loving father, what? He will always be generous.